The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I'm going to be speaking out of, and I hope as you listen to these words from the Lord, how deeply felt they were to the Apostle Paul. How emotional it comes forth from the depths of his heart to the depths of our hearts. Because sometimes we read through passages like this and we take them a little bit for granted. And I don't want that to be true of us today at all. So will you bow with me in prayer as we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us and teach us. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. You are the one who is in control of all things, yet you are our Father. Would you be with us today? Holy Spirit, fill this room in a special way so that it would be your word speaking to our hearts and that we would hear the truth and we would respond the way you want us to respond. For your honor and glory, we pray. Amen. It's interesting, Paul prays for strength. You'll see that three or four times as we go through the passage. And I just thought about it, just the last-minute deal. I googled what were the most uh, popular Halloween costumes for kids. I was thinking, you know, I don't know if things have changed. Back in my day, you always wanted to be Superman or some famous baseball player or something. And it's interesting, out of the top eight or nine, all of them are some kind of superheroes. Uh, the top one is action superheroes, the generic thing that they put there. Then Batman, still there, I can't believe it. Spider-Man, the Marvel superheroes. And if you want to spread it out a little bit, I don't know which character it is, but Star Wars was right there with them. But think about that for a minute, the desire of all of these young hearts as they want to be strong, they want to be super. They want to accomplish good things. At least I hope most of them wanted to be the, the good guys, not the bad guys. But that's what it's in their hearts. And I don't think that has changed. We truly want to be, in the best sense, spiritual superheroes. But we're not sure what happens that gets in the way. And it just doesn't seem, the power just doesn't seem to be there. Well, it's, fun. it's interesting how Paul addresses that uh, here from the book of Ephesians, and that's what we're going to look, like, look at. This is not a one-time prayer. When Paul prays this prayer, it is one of those prayers, he had several in Ephesians and, and, and uh, uh, Colossians, that he prayed over and over again for the people that he was ministering to. This happened to be going to the, those that were living in Ephesus. Uh, he was praying in a way, it was a tough time for him. The best we can tell, he was in prison, and he was being tortured in some ways. We see that spoken of. He was suffering. He was under hardship. And he shares this letter in this prayer, and it's personal and it's powerful. It goes to a depth to the people that I think... Sometimes we just don't want to go that deep spiritually. It actually goes to the literal center of spiritual life and fruitfulness. If you notice at the end of the, uh, the first paragraph of the prayer, it has a final 
statement of a reason for the prayer. Look at the very end of, of, the, of the, uh, the prayer itself. And it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Is there anything that you would like more than that? I mean, stop and think about it. To be filled with all the fullness of God? What more could we ever ask for? What more would we want? Is that even possible? Or is that just one of those things that's set out there for spiritual giants? Well, Paul was just writing to normal, everyday people in Ephesus who are facing lots of spiritual darkness, lots of challenges. So he starts out and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now there's different people say different things about what this, for this reason, what, what exact reason is uh, he talking about. It could be several things coming from the earlier uh, couple chapters, but I'm kind of simplistic. When I read something like that, I, I try to go as close to what comes before it as I can find that makes sense. And he talks in that paragraph beginning in verse 7 down through verse 13 about the gospel and his desire to minister to them and to preach to the Gentiles. Remember, he's probably in Rome preaching to Gentiles and the mystery of bringing them with the Jews into the kingdom of God. And uh, he wants to bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then he ends up at the very end of that. And I think this may be the reason, what he's, the, for this reason I'm praying these things for you. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And then he goes on, for this reason, let me tell you what I'm praying for you. Look at what he says when he starts it out. He says, I bow my knee before the Father. Bow my knees before the Father. Uh, is there a specific biblical position of prayer? Can you tell me if there's one? Can you tell me of any biblical? Think of those that, of, that there's described praying in the scriptures. What are some of the positions they took? Face down, flat on the ground. What are others? It was really interesting as I go back, I looked at that. They were standing, they were sitting, they were kneeling, and they were face down on the ground. There is no biblical, biblical position of prayer that's mandated for us. But I think when Paul is saying, I have my knees before the Father, there's a reason why he says that. Because this whole aspect of spiritual strength and the fullness of God begins with our attitude in the prayer. What does kneeling signify? What's, what's it make you think of? Submission. What else? I got to be able to hear you, and I'm getting old, so. What else? Humility. Very good. Reverence. There's all kinds of neat things that come out of that. I, I thought of the three, and, and you guys have a couple of them, but one is the humility. It says, my position is kneeling, bowing before you. Your position is the king. There's another part of that that I think we forget. 
When you're truly kneeling before God, you are saying to him, I trust you. And I think we need to keep that in mind as we go through today. We struggle in our world of entitlement and disappointment and lack of having things go our way with trusting God because we basically know he's in charge. And if things aren't going the way we like them, I'm not sure I can trust you. But Paul is saying, I'm suffering. Don't lose heart. I'm kneeling before the Father because I trust him. And you can too. Another one is dependence. We'll see that on, we need his strength to even be able to do these types of things. So you have both humility, you have I trust position, and a position of dependence. I can't do it on my own. And I also want to just for a moment look at how he describes God. The Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. It is both intimate and powerful. It is that uniqueness of our God, who can be one-on-one intimate with you and with me. So close to us that, that he knows everything about us and cares, even if we lose a hair. But he is so powerful that every name comes under him. He is the creator. There would be no one without him. He is the sustainer. I mean, all you have to do is look at some of the horrible things that are happening in nature. And if he did not sustain things, it would be destroyed. He's the ruler. So we have at the same time, we're recognizing who he is, who we are, and we come before him. And he says that the reason why I'm, I'm coming before you is that I'm praying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we first, the first thing of strengthening, of strength. He's praying for us to be strengthened with power. Real power, God power, important stuff, and we can just feel it there. I thought of, as you look, at, is this according to the riches of his glory? One of the things is, as I was thinking about this is that when you go, if there's two ways you can go according to someone's riches, or you can do out of someone's riches. Now, if any of you were on the level of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, and I wanted to finish the kitchen and the back and, and make this into a community center and do all the things that we even ever could possibly under the Holy Spirit dream about. And I come to you and you're that rich. And you say, Ed, I really like that idea. I think you're really good. Here's 200 bucks. <laughs> Thank you. That, appreciate it. That's a start. We'll put it in the kitchen fund and we're going to get there. But if he looks at me and he says, how much is it? I'll get my checkbook. One is out of his riches. The other is according to his riches. And that's what God is saying to us. That we want to be strengthened with power according to the riches of his glory. Not out of it. Not the leftovers. But according to his, the depths of his riches. I also want you to notice that he says he, the prayer Paul is praying for the Ephesians, and we pray for one another and praying for us, 
as if he will grant you to be strengthened. Notice that. That granting comes, you know, the grantor, the grantee, the one who has it to the one who doesn't. It is a gift. It's not something that you deserve. And so you see the grace of that that's there. But where's the initiation? To be filled to the fullness of God, to be able to accomplish and do the things that God has created us to be and do, it starts with him, not with us. And this prayer says, I'm praying for you to have strength, and I want you to know that I'm asking God to grant it to you. Our spiritual growth and life fullness is not based on us. It's based on God, the grantor. There are ways that we can, you know, Paul started on his knees in trust and humility and dependence. But it comes from God, not from us, to accomplish these things. And he talks about being strengthened with power through his spirit. This is no little request. Paul is on his knees and he's asking for power, strengthening power. So obviously there's something incredibly important that he's wanting to, for, it to be, for it to accomplish in our lives. Man, if I'm going to have power, I want to go out and change the world. I want to do great things. Give me that power, God. Let me go. Let me do it. I find it interesting, he says, that that power is to come through his spirit into our inner being. That's where the strengthening is supposed to come. Now think a minute for what your inner being is. That in the next verse, the word heart is the same. And I came across a couple of good illustrations for this. Now, again, we're not talking about performance Christianity here. We're talking about deep in our hearts, bottom line, strengthened only by the Spirit of God, power to be who God has created us to be and to accomplish what God is asking and designed for us to do. This isn't on a surface level. So this synonym, the heart or the inner being, is the control center of our personality. Whoa, you mean there's something that controls our personality? You mean there isn't things that I just have to say, well, that's just the way I am, I can't help it. There are things we have to struggle with, but the control center is God's. And I also found another word for that, it is, it's where we make our lifestyle choices and we set our moral compass. That's where we're praying, that's where Paul's praying for the the Ephesians. That's where we're asking God to go in our lives. That's where we're asking God to go in the lives of all of us that are here. And there's another so that. He just flows. By the way, I just let you know, th- this whole phrase is just one sentence in the original Greek. I mean, it just Paul was just rambling on. He went from one thought right to the other. So they all flow right together. So it says, I want God, according to the riches of his glory, to grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when you come to Christ originally and you choose to submit your life to him, we know, according to scriptures, that he indwells us. Is that, am I orthodox? Everybody, you with me? You agree? So what is he talking about? That we need this extra power, this special power, this strengthening, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. What is he saying to us? Well, I think the key is in the word dwell. 
There's a difference between just being an acquaintance and a friend. When he talks about dwelling, this is not referencing the theological truth of our salvation, but a deeper, more intimate relationship. The phrase that could be changed is to being at home. There's other in, in Colossians, he says the same thing. Christ is at home in our lives. What does that kind of mean? Let's talk about that for a second. First of all, it's not a surface relationship, but an ever-deepening fellowship. So I was trying to think, what does it mean to be at home? And I thought about hospitality and, and friends' homes that I've been to and stayed at and how I felt and everything. Stop and think of a home that was very nice, didn't have to be a mansion or anything. You walked in, everything was, that was just set up right. Actually, the fire was going in the fireplace on a cold day like today, and they had the cookies baking, and it wasn't even a house for sale, but they, she just had the cookies baking. And it smells good, and you walk in, but it just doesn't feel at home. I mean, it's, it's not bad, it's good, but you know, you visit, you enjoy your time, but it's not a place where you want to take off your shoes and watch a football game together. But then there is the place where you walk in. It may not be as nice. It may not be your favorite cookie. And yet somehow they make you feel so welcome. See, that's the difference when you are trying to impress a visitor or a guest and when you're trying to embrace a visitor or a guest. Does that make sense? So what we're looking at is our hearts we want Christ to be able to dwell in our hearts in such a way that he feels at home, that he's a friendship, that he is welcome. We want him there. We embrace him there. Not just an occasional visitor to tell us what to do. There's a, there's a closeness and a fellowship, and that grows. But what's interesting is that doesn't just happen because we go, oh, I want to make it that way. It happens out of this prayer for strength and power. We need power in order for us to be able to fully have Christ at home in our lives. It's not, it's just not us trying to make it happen. Then it goes on and there's still, as he just keeps flowing, the, the so that's came, seem to keep coming one after another. He's praying, I'm praying, I'm kneeling, I'm praying these things the strengthening, and the power of your, the Spirit in your inner being, uh, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. This intimacy, this dwelling in our hearts, leads to a rootedness and a groundedness that sometimes we, 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 we're missing in our microwave kind of life. We don't seem to have enough time for God. You know, rootedness takes a while. That's an agricultural term, right? And you've seen what happens with the tornadoes around here when a tree is, is blown over. Some of them have root balls that are just absolutely huge. Yet the power was so great that it blew it over. We were just down in Florida at our place, and 
Poor little, this old lemon tree, been there for a long time. It's, but there's some live oaks, huge live oaks. The ones you're scared are going to come down on the house. They're just sitting there. Their root system held tight, no matter what came at it. It makes me and reminded me of, of uh, what Paul talks about. Uh, not Paul, what David talked about in the Psalms when he said, I want to be a tree that is planted so that when the storms come, when it gets dry, it doesn't stop us. And when it's time for fruit, the fruit will be there. Also, I, I noticed that, and he says, I'm praying for you, that you being rooted and grounded in love. It made me stop and think, how often did Paul pray for himself versus how often did Paul pray for others? That really hit me. There are a few times he actually prays for himself, but almost always when he prays for himself, he's praying for some way to be more effectively ministering to other people. That's why he's praying for himself. He prays for others so often. And as you see here, he prays with emotion and with feeling. And you wonder, what is he praying for? Well, I thought about that. What do we pray for? Another important thing is like our finances, our jobs, our health. Or do we pray for really important things, such as our intimacy with God, our rootedness with God, our grounding with God, our growing grasp and comprehension of all of God from whom all blessings flow. Unfortunately, I think I'm probably the one that tends to pray for myself more than I pray for others. I'm trying to change that. I will tell you one thing that's helped me. You know when you, you want to pray for people and you have your list but you're not sure what to pray? Pick out some prayers of Paul or some passages of Scripture that... That, that God lays on your heart, and just pray that over people. It's amazing how freeing that is. When you can pray over something, over people, you pray scripture over them. And you're going, I might miss some of the other things, but if these deep needs are met, then the other things will be taken care of. I was just going to say one thing on the foundation aspect of it. That I, I can remember being in Chicago. In downtown Chicago, they were building a high-rise. And the most amazing thing about a high-rise is the hole in the ground. Have any of you ever been around where a high-rise was being built and you looked at the hole in the ground? Have any, I'm, seriously, have any of you ever seen, it, seen that? Man, AJ, that hole goes deeper than it goes up, doesn't it? I mean, you're looking down in it and it's just mammoth. And the higher the building is going to go, the deeper the hole has to be. The foundation has to be that, that solid. That's the groundedness. The further we want to walk in fruitfulness and fullness with God, the deeper the grounding, the foundation needs to be in him. In him. Anyway, one of the things I asked myself when he, when he had that prayer for us, when he says, I want to pray that you would be strengthened, uh, I'm wondering, I asked myself, why do I have to be strengthened in order to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God. Why do I need that strengthening? And then I thought for just a moment. Everything. Everything in this world is fighting against you 
comprehending who God is and his love for you. Everything. If the enemy, if Satan can get you to believe the lies, God isn't really the most powerful creator of all things. If he can get you to believe the lies that, see, you can't trust God because he let you down. If he can get you to believe the lies that he doesn't really love you because you've done things in your life that, you know, I know everybody says they're forgivable, but they really aren't. He gets you, he wants you to get the lie that says, life is so bad right now, there is no hope. If he can get us to believe those lies. And when do we need the strength to fight against the lies of Satan? Most. When it's darkest. When we're in the middle of the struggle. We need God's strength. And that's what we have to understand. Even the ability to love God, trust God, in the middle of difficulties is only by the power that God puts in us, his strength alive and working in us. You know, I've always read this passage in most of the translations I read, and it says the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of what? What's usually the object of that? You guys aren't with me this morning. All right. It's usually we say God's love, don't we? The reality is, if you look in the, uh, the translation we're speaking out of today, or the New American Standard translation, there's no object to that in the Greek. There's an object. So it just kind of <clears throat> ends with that. Uh, we, uh, with all the saints, I want you to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? Well, there's two different ways you can really go on that, and there was different things. I mean, both of them wonderful, and I like them both. So we're going to go both. One is that can talk about, and even in the ancient world, that would be the description of an ancient god when they were trying to talk about how powerful that god was. It would talk about all of the four dimensions, and that would be a description. So in a way, this could be the description of all that God is. Everything from his power, his immensity, to his love and his care. But then when you go to the next phrase where it also says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, yeah, there's a, there's a huge part of who God is that is his love. So to me, it's kind of like it's all there. But guess what? Satan does not want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to live in that. He doesn't want you to be strengthened in a way. That's why we need the Holy Spirit's strength to even understand that, to comprehend that, because everything's working against us, even our own weaknesses and desires. It's interesting when he goes on to finish this phrase where he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> you read that, and that's, it makes me smile. I mean, that's a contradiction in terms. How can I know something that is, surpasses all knowing? You know, it's that this Bible just drives me nuts when it does that. It's like God saying, okay, figure this one out, Ed. Appears to be a, con a contradiction in terms. 
but I really don't believe it is. Uh, I, I kind of thought, it's a kind of a joke in our family that after our 43 years of marriage, it really doesn't matter what kind of restaurant we go to, I can always order for Pam. Now, it's not one of those macho things that I say, well, well she'll have. You know, no, no, don't get me wrong, you don't. No, that's not Pam. <clears throat> I'd have that whole glass of water in my face. <laughs> Quick as you could do it. But it's the funny part about it is, is that I know her so well after all these times. I care about her. I've studied her. I, I literally did. Studied her. Try to figure out what is it that she would want. You know, and I look at that and, and, and then I think, okay, what, what would be what she would like the most? 95 times out of 100, I'm right on. There are a few times when, she'll, when she has said, yeah, I know that sounds good, but I think I'm going to get this. Always, she says, I should have listened to you. <laughs> fair, fair, it, it, it's one of those things. But I will tell you what, this time of being half retired and um, at home more, that when she gets home from work and we're there together, we don't have any kids in the house normally. Um, and so there's all this extra time that we've spending together that we've not really had time before. I mean, she gets home from work and I'm able to say, okay, here's a cup of tea and I'll get a cup of coffee. Let's sit down and talk. Now that sounds domesticated. You know, for many of you, it sounds, isn't that boring? And I'm going, no, it really isn't. It's, it's kind of neat. But I will tell you something. I'm still finding out things about her that I didn't know. I'm still learning new things about her. Now, sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's a, oh, no. <laughs> but it's new things. Well, that's what Paul is really trying to say when he says, this love of Christ, you can have a depth and a closeness, the strengthening that comes to you to grasp that is incredible. And the more you care, the more you study, the more you are looking at him and not at you, the more it's going to be closer and you're going to know him more and more and more. But you're never going to know him all the way. Not until we see him face to face. And I'm still not sure that after a whole eternity with God, however long that can be, we're still going to be learning some new things. That even in the midst and seeing the midst of all of who he is, it's still going to be there. Paul is really wanting for us to have a knowledge, a knowing of Christ and his love that surpasses what we would normally say knowledge, not just head knowledge. Deep in our heart, how much God loves me to the point where it, it, it takes me into sad places and happy places, emotional places. And it's not the wonderful worship music that I'm listening to. It is the prayer for the strengthening of power in my life that allows me to be able to see and feel and hear and experience an ever-deepening love. And all of this comes together, and he's still doing that. And if you'll notice in your, in your Bibles, there are just commas after that. And we're coming to this last part where it's that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So it seems like they all work together. Knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, being rooted and grounded, 
having Christ dwell in our hearts with faith, all coming from the prayer that he's asking that the Holy Spirit will fill us and strengthen us with power. This is what we need for intimacy with God. It's not some of the outward things. It's not stopping a certain behavior. It's not doing certain things. It is the flowing of the Holy Spirit in us, flowing out of us. I wonder, what does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? That's an incredibly amazing thought. It makes my brain hurt. What does the fullness of God feel like or look like? And that's what God wants for me. It's just an amazing thought. It's it's very hard. It affects our emotions. It affects our actions. It affects our thoughts. What might that total fullness look like? Well, there's a part of me that thinks it would be a perfect balance. It would be a perfect balance of walking in the power of the Spirit of God. It would be able to perfectly balance how do I exercise the Holy Spirit gifts that God has given me for the benefit of others fully and at the same time live out the very fruit of the Holy Spirit himself. I mean, stop and think about that. To be full means we're flowing over. What would it be like for others and for our families and for us if we're flowing over with the fruit of the Spirit? Run those by me with, with me. Love flowing out of us. Joy. Peace. And then the fourth one is the one that just gets me all the time. Which one is it? Patience. Can you imagine patience flowing out of you? I can't. I'm, I'm not you, me. And kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What would the impact upon our marriages and our relationships, our friendships, our workplace? If we're praying this prayer and allowing God to fulfill it in our hearts and minds and lives. Now, here's reality. The reality of this is that we can't live healthy spiritual lives without God's fullness. Okay, can I say that one again? We can't live healthy spiritual lives without God's fullness. So we're going back to the very beginning. We think we can Hey, I've done it a lot in my life. How much of the time do we think we can live? I, I want to live with a half a gallon of God. I still want to do some of the things that I want to do. I try to accomplish good things. Try to be a good person. But there's an emptiness. You know, it just isn't, just isn't all there. And that emptiness is God drawing us to himself and saying... You need to be on the, your knees for you and for your uh, and others for the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to be filled and fill those empty places. We also tend to blame God for the empty places, don't we? I mean, that tends to be our go-to. I mean, entitlement has been a sin of mankind for since there's been mankind. It's not new. 
But we do tend to blame God when things, when there are empty places. So this is one of the things I'd like for us to think about in our reality. What would being filled with the Spirit of God look like? How could we start working that process according to Paul's prayer? Well, it seems to me that the first thing we would do would be on our knees and what that means. Starting our day. I mean, we put Bible verses on our mirrors, at least many of us do. What would it be like to start our days every morning kneeling before the Father of all mankind, asking for him to fill us with his spirit and strengthen us so that we could know his love, we could know the height and depth and length and width of who he is, and out of that for it to flow and fill us. What happens if periodically during the day when things haven't necessarily been going well and you're emptying. <laughs> it's, you've had more flow out than has flown in, flowed in. What would happen if we stopped on our way home, our way back from class? Said, you know, my roommate is really being a jerk. But I'm supposed to care for, that, for him or her and love them. Father, fill me with your spirit and strengthen me so that I know your love and I can share that love with them. If we put ourselves in a position of dependency and trust before God and praying, specifically praying that the Holy Spirit would fill us with his power and strengthen us so that we would understand and feel and grasp and comprehend the love of Christ, how would that change on how we could walk through life? Not from putting something different on the outside. Something coming from the inside, which is a growing, ever-deepening aspect. We're going to have a chance now to come before communion, thanking God for his son, for all he did, because none of this would be possible without the cross. But I would really ask us to, oh, look at your, you know, your, the Bible, you have it open. Maybe even pray that prayer. Don't just pray it for yourself. Pray it for others. You notice how Paul was praying for all of the Ephesians? What would it be like if we were praying that for one another? If we were praying that for the leaders of this church, for the leaders at Samford and Beeson, for the leaders of this nation, that kind of blows my mind. How would it change the, our inside? And once the inside is, the inside changes, that's when the outside changes. So before, as we come before communion, and we'll have it here, there's some on each side, all are invited. You take a piece of the bread and dip it. You will be served in the back if you like. But before we do that, I would like to pray this prayer over us that this would be the reality of every one of us, the strengthening by the Holy Spirit, the power to know fully who God is, fully 
the love of Christ with none of the lies of Satan getting in the way. So will you allow me to pray over us? I ask you for that permission. I'm asking you to join me because I'm going to pray it over you anyway. What a wonderful prayer that Paul has given us. Father in heaven, we pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you may grant to us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. To his honor and his glory. Amen.